This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. This isn't about politics. It never should have been. Um, we've been asking Congress to do stuff for 30 years on climate change because the, the threat is real and all of the science points to um, this being a, a huge issue for humans, fish, and wildlife. So, Welcome to the National Wildlife Federation Outdoors Podcast. I'm your host, Drew Youngdike, and with me today is Alec Underwood, and he is the Federal Conservation Campaigns Director for the Montana Wildlife Federation. Um, Alec, thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having me on, Drew. How's it going in Montana? Uh, pretty nice, getting close to archery season, um, so I'm I'm pretty excited, as well as all the good people here in Missoula, Montana that are ready to get into the hills and uh, go hunt. That's great. And uh, tell me a little bit about yourself, Alec. Uh, you, you go out, you hunt, you fish. Uh, what do you like to do? Yeah, hunting and fishing is pretty much what I live for. So, um, yep, like I said, excited that we're getting close to September here. It's uh, You seemingly wait for it all year to uh, archery hunt elk in the rut and um, and then, you know, the rest of the year, I, I basically fish all the rivers around Montana, take some steelhead trips here and there is another passion of mine. Um, but yeah, I, I love to hunt and fish and that's pretty much all I do. So, and did you, uh, did you grow up in Montana? I did not. I, I actually grew up, um, in a very rural part of upstate New York in the Adirondacks if you're familiar and, um, small town up there, Chestertown, New York, I guess I'll give that shout out. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I grew up there and fishing small streams for brook trout and, uh, exploring the mountains there. And that's kind of what gave me my, uh, passion for the outdoors and, uh, put me out here going to school at the university of Montana. Um, back in 2011, I think is when I first came to Montana. And, uh, since then, it's been a, a mix of conservation work for different groups, and uh, and I've loved it. So That's great. And, and how long have you been with the Montana Wildlife Federation? So I've been with MWF for uh, about two and a half years. Um, I started with their uh, climate change advocacy program and then moved into um, more of a Western uh, field coordinator position, um, which dealt a lot with our 
affiliate clubs that I can talk about later. Um, and then moving into some more of these federal issues now, um, these overarching issues that affect our uh, fish and wildlife habitat. And so that's kind of what I work on now is federal policy mostly. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that affiliate structure because um, I, I kind of had a similar path to, to the National Wildlife Federation in that I worked for Michigan United Conservation Clubs, which is uh, the National Wildlife Federation affiliate in Michigan. And the way that that organization is structured is they're the statewide representative for a whole bunch of uh, actually a couple hundred um, rod and gun clubs, local rod and gun clubs throughout the state. And they set MUCC's policy the same way Montana Wildlife Federation and MUCC set the National Wildlife Federation's policy. Is that kind of the way that the Montana Wildlife Federation is structured as well? Yeah, that's exactly it, Drew. Um, we've got uh, small local rod and gun clubs um, around Montana. I think we have 15 or 16 of them around the state. Not as many as Michigan. I imagine that might be related to population differences. A hundred percent. But they're nevertheless, they're important. Um, they're the local voices that are paying attention to the local issues that are on the ground. And so um, when we think about our, our coalition and our collective voice of all of our affiliates, when we speak out, they can speak out and, um, you know, power in numbers. And uh, I think it's really important to have those, those local voices, especially uh, who are paying attention to what's happening on the ground. And um, what what are some of the recent policy uh, that that Montana Wildlife Federation has really been been diving into? Well, on the on the local and state side of things, we there aren't many issues in the state regarding fish and wildlife uh, habitat, public access um, that that we don't touch. Um, there's there's so many issues that we weigh in on and, and what comes to the forefront is just how our, our fish and wildlife are, uh, are managed. Um, one of our huge focuses at MWF is having a, uh, a strong presence at the state legislative session and our work in Helena where we actually are, our office, our main office is based. Um, you know, we weigh on in on all bills um, affecting fish and wildlife uh, during our state legislative session. And, um, you know, really the power of grassroots organizing is pretty apparent when we look at some of the events that we help organize, uh, like CAMO at the Capitol, where we have um, people who depend on our public lands for just their way of life, pretty much. Um, come to the state capitol and it's a it's a huge rally basically to show support for public lands and to show that our our lawmakers our legislators that um, you know to not mess with them <laughs> and it's a strong it's a strong display of you know having thousands of people in one spot in, in the rotunda at the capitol in helena um, screaming you know keep public lands in public hands and when we look at uh, the threat of federal land transfer and the uh, advocates that are out there who, you know, want that to happen, that is their agenda, um, it sends a pretty clear message that that's not going to happen um, on people who love to recreate on public lands, not not on their watch. So, And 
and that's that helps you communicate um, certainly the the policies that your affiliates uh, bring up to the state level to the state legislature. Um, but you primarily work on federal campaigns as well. What are the, some of the top federal priorities that the Montana Wildlife Federation is working on right now? Yeah, well, I think our emphasis always is on habitat for fish and wildlife. Um, you know, there are large landscape level stressors that affect fish and wildlife. One of them uh, being climate change as probably the greatest long-term threat to not only fish and wildlife, but our, our sporting opportunities. And so climate change being a big one and then ranging all the way down to our, our federal funding programs for conservation, like the Land and Water Conservation Fund, and then stemming even further down to local, local I call it local federal legislation, like John Tester's Black River Stewardship Act um, that would protect some large chunks of the Blackfoot Valley, one of Montana's most iconic landscapes um, for future generations. So really it's, it's a swath of issues that can affect fish and wildlife through policies um, at our federal agencies or uh, major laws or federal funding programs. So it's, it's a mixed bag and it's never, never a dull moment working on, on that stuff. I'm glad that you mentioned climate change because actually a, a few episodes ago, I interviewed Johnny Carroll Sane, um, and he lives in Arkansas and is on the board of directors of Conservation Hawks, um, which I know is actually based out in Montana too um, with our friends Todd Tanner. Um, and Johnny really talked about some of the ways that climate change impacts hunting and fishing where he's from down in Arkansas. How is it affecting things on the ground and in the water in, in Montana? And what kind of effects are you expecting to see in the near future as well? Yeah, well, there's many threats to our fish and wildlife associated with climate change. And, and for me, my background's in actually fisheries biology. So I'm, I'm always uh, um, preferential to talking about fish um, and a fly fish longer than I've hunted. But uh, yeah, in, in terms of our fisheries, and we look at how our streams work out here in this mountain landscape, they're primarily driven by snowmelt. Um, and so how much snow we get over the course of the winter is very important. Um, but even more important is how that snow uh, melts off. And what we've seen with climate change is this change in the hydrologic cycle. And what I mean by that is that we are having, on average, earlier snowmelt every year. And that's changing the timing of the runoff. And basically, long story short, leaves less water available in our streams and our rivers later in the summer. And that's typically when we see our, our hottest temperatures. And um, in 2016 and 2017, we had uh, quite the years of extreme drought. We had record drought um, in Western Montana here at least, and up along the High Line. Um, but for our Western Montana trout streams, some of the most iconic trout streams in, in the world, um, they can suffer year to year now, even if we have a strong snowpack. Um, if it comes off wrong and we get extreme temperatures and then we have 46 days with no measurable precipitation, um, it's not good for our fish. And as, as many 
anglers out there know trout don't do well in uh, warm water and that's our, our main fisheries here it's a huge economic driver um, and so those those rivers and those streams are warming up um, they're having less water later in the summer when they need it and we see some mortality in our trout populations um, we're still okay on that but really the biggest impact for anglers is that we see uh, restrictions on our on our rivers they're called hoot owl restrictions where uh, the Department of Fish, Wildlife, and Parks shuts down those waters during parts of the day to try and protect fish. So, um, so yeah, it it harms the you know ecological health of our rivers as well as uh, access for for anglers. Yeah, and I know here in Michigan and some of the northern uh, lower peninsula and upper peninsula cold water trout streams that that support brookies, uh, brook trout, native brook trout here. Um, you know, there, there's a effort afoot to take a pledge and, you know, I, I, I take it, although it doesn't matter much because I don't catch many fish as hard as I try um, to when it's seven, the water is 70 degrees or higher to just target warm water species instead. Let the trout go on those days, maybe target uh, bluegills and and bass on those days. And, you know, what, what I noticed when I saw that pledge going around, at least here, is as climate change increases, what we're going to see is just additional days where those conditions exist, which is a very direct, immediate impact on not just the fish health, but also angler opportunity. Um, how much is, does something like that impact Montana um, as far as the fish, but also the recreational opportunity and the type of draw and tourism that that drives? Yeah, so I think those impacts are, are a lot of the same here in Montana, especially that um, greater number of days that we're, we're going to see extreme heat in the summer. Um, climate projections are showing that, you know, days above 90 degrees are going to increase and we're going to overall see hotter, more intense heat during the summer. And that's when we see those, those hoot owl restrictions. I think another thing that, that can really affect um, recreation in general in Montana is our, our fire seasons. And the science is very clear that climate change is having an effect on fire seasons. Uh, we're seeing fire seasons that are twice as long in many areas. And especially in 2017, you could look down the street here in Missoula and you couldn't see 150 yards. That's how thick the smoke was in, during the fires of 2017. And so um, I've talked with a lot of people who, whose businesses rely on uh, recreation on our rivers and it's not even a question when the smoke's that bad if you're gonna have clients canceling trips and uh, and that's much of the reason why my emphasis in our climate work with MWF has been working with fishing guides and outfitters um, who are out there working every day to make a living and uh, have a pretty strong story to tell about the impacts of, of climate change on on their livelihoods. Where, where are we with the the actual thrust of the work um, that Montana Wildlife Federation is doing? So our, um, our work on climate change has uh, ebbed and flowed over the years, but really we are the only sportsmen's and sportswomen's organization um, that has had a constant presence on the issue in Montana. And, you know, I only say that because it, it alludes to the fact that the the sporting community, the hunting and angling community, 
needs to lead the way on the issue. Um, we stand a lot to lose on it. And so, um, you know, I'm proud to say that MWF has, has kept up our work on climate. Um, and recently, um, you know, we've got a film that we're working on right now to elevate the voices I was talking about of, of some fishing guides and outfitters um, who are directly impacted by these changes. And that video is, you know, maybe halfway done that we're working on and we're going to have a pretty rigorous outreach uh, program once the film is done to to elevate the issue amongst anglers. Um, but I really think that the angling community especially can see these impacts directly. And when we when we elevate the voices of these people who are out there every day just trying to make a living um, and they understand how big of a threat climate change is, um, it's going to do a lot of good work on, on the advocacy front of building awareness around the issue that, um, you know, here in Montana, um, politically speaking, we're in a state that um, still has a high level of skepticism on climate change, which we all know um, shouldn't even be a thing. <laughs> but uh, my my constant messaging on climate change, especially what I'm trying to emulate in this film as we get this done, is that um, this isn't about politics. It never should have been. Um, we've been asking Congress to do stuff for 30 years on climate change because the, the threat is real and all of the science points to um, this being a, a huge issue for humans, fish, and wildlife. So um, that's what we're trying to do right now with that film as our major project. And in addition to that, just trying to um, build awareness in the hunting and angling community that long term, this is the biggest issue that we face and that our fish and wildlife face. Well, it's, it's great to hear um, st strong organizations, state-based, um, consistently working on uh, an issue with such broad impacts to our fish and wildlife as climate change. Um, the Montana Wildlife Federation has also long been a leader on another issue impacting wildlife from a broad scale, and that's public land and the available habitat that, that wildlife have on public land. Um, Recently, the administration has pushed what's been kind of called like an energy dominance um, agenda from the federal level. Um, we're seeing impacts on that kind of across the West. Is that having impacts as well on wildlife in Montana? Absolutely. Um, I don't even know where to start, but <laughs> but I would say, yeah, the this energy dominance agenda, uh, especially looking at the Department of Interior right now, under this administration is um, probably one of the, the largest concerns to our organization, and many other conservation organizations around the country. Um, you know, the BLM manages mostly uh, lands in the Western United States. Um, and throughout those lands, the trend that we're seeing is this widespread uh, oil and gas development potential that they're throwing out there in the form of, of leases and uh, through those leases a lot of them are um, you know run by outdated leasing policies and so we see basically a prioritization of, of development over other uses on public lands which quite frankly is illegal um, but also it's it's outing people who um, 
you know, depend on public lands to fill their freezers every year and for their, you know, quality of life. And is it just the the space that it takes up? Is it the fragmentation? Is it all of it? What are the the specific effects on wildlife from the the development action that takes place on public lands? Yeah, so oil and gas development, um, there's no shortage of impacts to wildlife. And when we look at um, the greater sage grouse, for example, uh, a species that, um, you know, has been uh, in 2015 ruled as not being on the Endangered Species uh, Act. Um, and and that was, a, that was a huge win. And that was much due to a lot of the plans that were formed between state agencies and, and feds and other entities um, to protect the bird. Um, but now with, the, with this administration, we're seeing widespread oil and gas leasing in priority and general sage grouse habitat. And what we know is that, you know, they can't stand the levels of development that are currently being proposed in their habitat that were identified and supposed to be uh, prioritizing oil and gas outside of those areas. So it's it's frustrating even for just talking about a single species, but then when you look at how um, our pronghorn antelope populations react to oil and gas development, the science is pretty clear on some avoidance there. Um, and then additionally, like I mentioned, um, just the fact that people in Montana um, and people from all over the world that come to Montana to experience those big game hunting opportunities are basically losing out when they're leasing a, a lot of oil and gas parcels in, in areas that have been identified as low potential lands. And that's low potential for, for mineral development. Um, and so why they're doing that and also offering those leases at as low as $2 an acre or $1.50 an acre, it's basically making that the priority over any other use, including recreation. Um, and so really that's the access part and losing access is as much as an issue as it is for, you know, the wildlife habitat and the negative impacts in certain areas. And what, what are the actions that the Montana Wildlife Federation is taking to try to, to com combat this loss of wildlife habitat and, and public land hunting area? Well, MWF has been very outspoken on all of the changes at Department of Interior, including, you know, the recent hiring of William Perry Penley, um, a uh, staunch advocate for federal land transfer, um, which in our eyes is flat out inappropriate and he needs to be removed. Um, but apart from that, what we're doing is really educating people on the issue of, of energy development on public lands. And it really isn't easy because, um, you know, I've only worked on this issue a very short time. There's some people in conservation who've been working on this for 20, 30 years and really understand those processes. And how we explain those processes to the public, it has to be very boiled down to, you know, we're losing out on public lands when these widespread leases are offered for next to nothing prices. Um, so what we're doing right now is trying to educate the public um, through our outlets, but also convening other groups. And I think it's notable that 
um, you know, during uh, the Obama administration, uh, conservation groups really moved away from looking at energy development on public lands and focused on other issues. And now with this administration, it's it's really it's been elevated, but there's also, especially here in Montana, been a lack of coordination between conservation and um, hunter angler groups on, on this issue. And it's very important because these are, like I said, the places where we go to fill our freezer every year. So, you know, we just talked about two issues that we seem to be playing a lot of defense on climate change, um, excess energy development on, on the public lands that we hunt and fish. But, but there's another issue where Montana Wildlife Federation is able to play a proactive uh, conservation role. And you mentioned that earlier, and that's the, the Blackfoot Clearwater Stewardship Act. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about that act, um, what, what it does and, and how it will help Montana? Absolutely. So, you know, to give a little bit of historical perspective, um, you know, anybody could come to Montana today and say and look at the Blackfoot River for those who have been there but if you haven't um, beautiful river beautiful valley excellent hunting and fishing opportunities um, but someone could come there and be like this this river has look how pristine it is and intact and it's never been changed and really when you look at the history of the Blackfoot that isn't the case um, it was a, a highly impaired system uh, because of dewatering, uh, mining, uh, overgrazing, and over, you know, decades and decades, it really suffered. And if you talk to anybody, this is before I was born, uh, <laughs> if you talk to anybody who was here and fished in the 70s, um, it, it was a very impaired fishery. And um, now today, 30 years later and 30 years of restoration efforts, we see that fishery uh, very well restored and a lot of our native fish populations, cutthroat and bull trout, doing pretty well. And so that's kind of the, the history of that Blackfoot Valley is that it's had a legacy of restoration and conservation efforts. And now, um, since 2005, uh, in communities that used to rely on timber as their main economic driver have recognized the importance of wilderness and uh, national forest lands and lakes and rivers and the fishing economy, the hunting economy. Um, as we know in Montana, especially the, the outdoor recreation industry has emerged as one of the top economic drivers now. And so in 2005, a group of diverse group of stakeholders came together and said, how can we preserve um, these special areas uh, here in the Blackfoot and Clearwater Valleys and, and also maintain a, a strong economy for the jobs that currently exist there? And how, you know, how do we find that balance, that sweet spot? And so now we look you know, 13 years later, or 14 years later, and they've seen a lot of those changes happen because of the work they've done. And that was through the Blackfoot Clearwater Stewardship Project. And that collaborative, you know, worked hard to see investments, uh, you know, in, in timber jobs, and then also figuring out on the landscape where different recreation uses can coincide. 
um, and or be separated in some cases. And so that, that all culminated in what we have today. Uh, our um, Senator John Tester has brought a bill. Um, he brought it during the last session and it didn't move, unfortunately. But this bill, the Blackfoot Clearwater Stewardship Act, um, is the final part of this puzzle um, to be realized, which is components of recreation, conservation, and, and restoration. Um, and the you know recreation and uh, forest restoration components have already been realized over the years. This is now about preserving the landscape. And so this bill would designate um, about 80,000 acres of new wilderness to be added to uh, the Bob Marshall, the scapegoat, and the Mission Mountain wilderness areas. And then it would also open up new recreational opportunities for mountain bikers and snowmobilers in, in two designated recreation areas. Um, really, the best thing about this project is that there has been a full consensus among amongst this collaborative. And we're talking interests that don't typically mix. We're talking wilderness advocates and loggers and ranchers and wilderness outfitters and conservationists and all of these different groups that have come together. And, and so the, the BCSA really is an example of how we can work on federal lands management and designations and make it work for the not only the uh, local economy, but for fish and wildlife and preserving those values as well. And I just have to talk more about the specifics too. <laughs> Well, that's that's a that's a great example too. You know, especially going from an issue like the the federal administration's energy dominance agenda, and where you had that kind of um, collaboration come together for the sage grouse plans um, that then later got scrapped. is It's great to hear that kind of broad based consensus come together um, for the for the BCSA. Um, in addition to, to the broad spectrum, what, what do you think are a couple of the most important specific points um, that, that this Stewardship Act would do? Well, I, I think it's the protection of some of the highest quality fish and wildlife habitat in Western Montana. When you look at the landscape and, and these areas that are almost 100% of them recommended wilderness, uh, to be managed as recommended wilderness, they would be added on to the wilderness areas. So really the management doesn't change much, but what we do get is that, you know, permanent protection of those areas. Um, and when we look at them, we find some of the most amazing habitat and, and especially on the fishery side of things. Um, we look at our native species, uh, West Slope cutthroat trout and bull trout, uh, because of issues like climate change, their populations have uh, declined over time. Um, but in these headwater streams of the Blackfoot, where these uh, designations and these protections would be, um, again, is the highest quality fish habitat in Western Montana for those fish. And there's still strongholds there. And so what, what the act does would be, you know, preserving that for future generations, really, along with also benefiting the terrestrial species. A lot of it is uh, core grizzly bear habitat, core lynx habitat, um, it's some of the best lynx habitat in the lower 48. Um, and, and in addition to that, our big game species, uh, our elk and our deer that 
uh, or up in the Bob Marshall Wilderness. Really what this does is, is help um, preserve that connectivity for them to come down to that winter range uh, that they use in, in, in winter. So really multiple benefits for terrestrial species, aquatic species, and then the recreation benefits as well, opening up some new opportunities for other uses um, within that landscape. And that's some of the trade-off of the Blackfoot Clearwater Stewardship Act is that everyone had to give up a little bit and this is the final part of the puzzle. And, and luckily what we've seen is broad bipartisan support for this legislation. We have businesses around the state and other collaboratives that are working on similar issues around the state that have endorsed this project as uh, as being something that we can point towards on how to do things right. Well, well that's exactly the way that, that you'd love these these type of bills to come together. Um, and, and as we're learning from really all across the West is how important connectivity is for, for wildlife and wildlife migration as well. So if somebody hears this and they want to help support uh, this effort, where can they go uh, to learn more about the, the BCSA and encourage their member of Congress or their senators to support it? Yeah, there's a website that we have for the Blackfoot Clearwater Stewardship Act, and it's, uh, it's www.blackfootclearwater.org. And uh, so pretty simple link there, and that'll bring you to our page. Um, We've got some great resources on there. We've got our- That's great, Alec. Of, and if somebody wants to get involved in the other efforts that the Montana Wildlife Federation is doing, where can they find more information about you, uh, become a member, and support your conservation efforts? Absolutely. Well, MWF's website is montanawildlife.org. And if you go to our website, you'll, you'll find several ways to get involved, including signing up for our newsletter action alerts that we send out pretty frequently um, on all of our issues that we have going on. Um, in addition to that, I, I'd encourage everyone who hunts, fishes, recreates in Montana, become a member of MWF. We have an extremely strong presence um, at the state legislative session and how our fish and wildlife are managed in this state and been part of some of the, the biggest wins uh, over our long history, founded in 1936, um, for protecting our, our wildlife. So I'd encourage everyone to join as a member, and that'll get you our newsletter and ways to get involved with protecting Montana's fish and wildlife. Thank you, Alec. I really appreciate you coming on the, the National Wildlife Federation Outdoors podcast to talk about your efforts at Montana Wildlife Federation. Um, is there anything else that you'd like folks to know about the work that you do? Yeah, I'd, I'd say that, um, you know, we're in a time where there's no shortage of uh, attacks on our fish, our wildlife, our public lands, um, and what uh, hunters and anglers care about or are supposed to care about. Um, so if there is a time to get involved, it, it would be right now. And I'd encourage everyone listening to get uh, get a hold of your local conservation organization that you follow and ask them how to be involved because if there's a time that really matters it's right now yeah no no stronger way to end the podcast than that thank you alec this has been the national wildlife federation outdoors podcast i'm your host drew Youngdike. learn more at www.nwf.org outdoors this podcast is supported by rep your water and their three percent for conservation commitment